Welcome back to Queer Story Podcast. My name is Oso. <laughs> We've got a great show for you today. Um, Magnus Hirschfeld, the godfather of gays. Um, so it's Pride Month, and I'm super excited to explore some of the folks who came before Stonewall. Um, as we all could kind of know, there's been many gay or queer or whatever movements in different continents and different countries at different times, now and then. Today's episode is centered around Magnus Hirschfeld. Some of y'all may already know of this person and his amazing feats of science and work that he did during the early 20th century, um, up until the regime of Nazi Germany. Um, so yeah, get excited, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> I know I am. I don't know if y'all have seen that show Transparent. It does raise a bit of controversy, um, which I'll talk about briefly. The reason why the show Transparent on Amazon creates controversy is because it is a yet another show where a trans woman is being played by a cisgendered male actor. Though I do not want to assume that Jeffrey Tambor's gender is anything that I don't know. Uh, perceivably to the public, this is what it looks like. And according to a lot of trans women that I've spoken to, it's, it's still hurtful. Something that I can see, though, about the show Transparent and the strides in the work that the actors and uh, producers and writers are trying to get across is that this should be the last time there's a man of cisgender experience playing a trans woman. Jeffrey Tambor said that in his Emmy uh, acceptance speech. Um, so there's that. The reason why I bring all that up is because one thing about the show that was exciting to me, aside from the fact that they were showing a lot of really cool things about the queer community, employing a lot of transgender and queer actors for different scenes and different characters, they showed a beautiful piece of um, collective memory, showing how trauma influences us now. There's a segment in, what is it? I think it's season two, where the younger daughter is kind of having flashbacks of ancestral trauma. And her ancestral trauma is that her great aunt was a transgender woman who lived in Berlin. Perceivably, she was a Jew. Their family is Jewish. So she was a Jewish transgender woman that was part of Magnus Hirschfeld's Institute for Sexuality. She worked there. She lived there. That's how they portrayed her story. And something that I thought was really beautiful about what Transparent was, was doing with this um, flashback series is not only showing ancestral trauma, not only showing that transgender folks exist in our ancestry, they aren't a new thing, we aren't a new thing, <laughs> But that the story of Magnus Hirschfeld was very vibrant and alive. They employed a number of transgender actors. 
to show the people in the, the Institute and showed a vibrancy and an intellectualism that I had only read about and never, ever seen portrayed in media. I believe that that is a story within the stories of World War II and the Holocaust and the rise of the German Nationalist Party that gets swept aside because of the atrocities, because of so many stories, millions and millions and millions of stories that were told, untold, lost, shared, and most importantly, carried through in the somatic memory of our bodies as we are descendants of a lot of these people. So when I saw Transparent's portrayal of the Institute for Sexuality and Magnus Hirschfeld and all the people who lived there and all the people who were validated by the scientific works that he was pushing for, I was like, I gotta do a show about this one. So that's today's show. All that being said, I'd like to say thank you to the elders and to the ancestors who came before me and us. Thank you so much for your work for everything that you gave to give us what we have now. We would be not in this place if not for you. And a thanks to all the elders and the ancestors who were lost in the Holocaust for all the reasons that one would be lost, not just the gay ancestors, but all. So today's show, Magnus Hirschfeld. Once upon a time in Germany, there was a man, an openly gay Ashkenazi Jewish man who fully believed that being gay is a reasonable human experience. This man spent his entire life fighting for justice through science, for homosexual and transgender people to be recognized. He was once quoted as saying, The woman who needs to be liberated most is the woman in every man, and the man who needs to be liberated most is the man in every woman. He was one of the best Tauruses to ever live, in my humble Taurian opinion. So, let's dive right into his story. He studied philosophy in undergrad, and in 1892, he earned his doctoral degree. He then started a naturopathic practice in Magdeburg, and in 1896, he moved his practice to Berlin. In the same year, he issued a pamphlet, Sappho and Socrates. It was about homosexual love under his pseudonym, T.H. Ramian. In 1897, Hirschfeld founded the Scientific Humanitarian Committee with the publisher Max Spohr, the lawyer Edward Oberg, and writer Franz Joseph von Bülow. The Scientific Humanitarian Committee focused their work on defending the rights of homosexuals and transgender folks to repeal paragraph 175. The, that was the section of German penal code that since 1871 had criminalized homosexuality. They argued that the law encouraged blackmail. Their motto, justice through science. This reflected Hirschfeld's belief that better scientific understanding of homosexuality would eliminate hostility towards homosexuals. He also believed that homosexuals and trans folks were an extra special gender in of ourselves. So he kind of lumped us all together. And, you know, for the time being, it made a lot of sense. He was trying to get rights for all of us. 
Now, under Hirschfeld's leadership, the Scientific Humanitarian Committee gathered over 5,000 signatures from prominent Germans on a petition to overturn paragraph 175. Notable folks who signed this, Albert Einstein, Rena Maria Rilke, and Hermann Hesse. This bill was brought before the Reichstag in 1898, but was supported by a minority from the Social Democratic Party of Germany. Hirschfeld considered what would in a later era be described outing, forcing out of the closet, of some of the most prominent and secretly homosexual lawmakers who had remained silent on the bill. Hirschfeld, unfortunately, was kind of the dude that would out anybody at that time for the sake of his scientific agenda. He arranged for the bill to be reintroduced in the 1920s, and it did begin to make some progress before the takeover of the Nazis ended hopes for this support of this homosexual communities in Berlin and of all Germany. One of the most prominent parts of Magnus's career was his involvement with a homosexual sex scandal that emerged in Kaiser Wilhelm II's cabinet in 1907 through 1909. This was known as the Harden-Uhlenberg affair. This affair was such a scandal, it could only be compared to the trial of Oscar Wilde 20 years earlier. Now, we won't get into the details of the accusations in the accused, though it is a very juicy scandal. We're just going to stay focused on Magnus's involvement. Now, like Oscar Wilde's original trials, this is one in regards to suing for libel. In 1907, when General Kuno von Moltke sued the journalist Maximilian Harden after the journalist had run an article accusing Moltke of having a homosexual relationship with the politically powerful Prince Philip von Eulenburg, who was the Kaiser's best friend. Hirschfeld testified for the journalist Harden. Hirschfeld in his role as an expert witness, testified that Moltke was gay and thus what Hardin had written was true. This had a lot to do with Magnus's personal agenda, as he was a gay scientist who passionately wanted to make homosexuality illegal in Germany. He believed that proving that army officers like Moltke were gay would help his case for legalization, and as such, he also testified that he believed there was nothing wrong with Moltke. Hirschfeld testified that homosexuality was a part of the plan of nature and creation just like normal love. This caused outrage all over Germany. Various newspapers called him out as a freak who acted for freaks in the name of pseudoscience. And might I add, thank you. (laughs) Thanks for acting for us freaks, dear. (laughs) And saying that he made public propaganda under the cover of science, which does nothing but poison our people. Real science should fight against this. Now, since this isn't a podcast on the Hardin-Uhlenberg trial, we're going to move on to some other aspects of Hirschfeld's career and work. But suffice to say, he was called in as an expert witness for a trial about someone saying, hey, I'm not gay, I got to sue you for libel, and said, hey, you are gay, and it's okay. (laughs) In any case... In 1921, Hirschfeld organized the first Congress for Sexual Reform, which led to the formation of the World League for Sexual Reform. Congresses were then held in Copenhagen, London, Vienna, and Bernier. In 1904, Hirschfeld joined the Bund für Mutterschutz, the League for the Protection of Mothers, a feminist organization founded by Helene Stocker. He campaigned for the decriminalization of abortion and against policies that banned female teachers and civil servants from marrying or having children. So, the Weimar Republic is considered a bit more liberal than past German governments, 
and during that time between World War I and World War II, Magnus created his magnum opus during the Weimar Republic. His magnum opus, Institute for Sexual Wissenschaft, the Institute of Sexual Research. It was opened on July 6, 1919. In Germany, the Reich government made laws, but the Lander government enforced the laws, meaning that it was up to the Lander governments to enforce paragraph 175. Magnus purchased a villa for the institute, and it was technically in Prussia, where Berlin was. The Lander there did not enforce paragraph 175, and this is how Prussia and Berlin became a homosexual hotspot of the 1920s. As for Magnus and the Institute, they thrived. It was where he has housed his immense archives and his library on sexuality. It also provided educational services and medical consultations. There was a clinical staff that included psychiatrists, a gynecologist, a dermatologist, and an endocrinologist. The Institute was also where you could find the Museum of Sex, an educational museum that was visited by schools. It was a place intellectuals, writers, and general people came to understand their own sexualities and genders without discrimination and with full support. Their experiences were validated and even recorded to provide future validation and proof regarding various experiences of gender and sexuality. In addition, a number of noted individuals lived there for long or short periods of time. There were various rooms available for rent or as free accommodations for queer folks. Among the residents were Isherwood and Tourville Petrie, literary critic and philosopher Walter Benjamin, actress and dancer Anita Berber, Marxist philosopher Ernst Bloch. It also was a place where trans folks could go and get hormone replacement therapy as well as surgeries. Dorchen Richter was one of the first transgender patients to receive gender confirmation surgery that was pioneered at the Institute. Also, Lily Ilse Elvenes, better known as Lily Elbe, who was a Danish transgender woman, received gender confirmation surgery and hormone treatment. Her autobiography was released two years after her death, Man into Woman. We got to check that one out. A little known fact is it was Magnus Hirschfeld who coined the term transsexualism. So, once the Nazis started to take over in 1932, they launched their purge of the LGBTQ clubs in Berlin. They called them homophile clubs. They outlawed publications, and they banned any groups that were organized for LGBTQ issues. As a consequence, many people fled Germany. Many people fled Germany for lots of reasons, but people started to realize that this was becoming part of the larger administration of the Nazis. Then, in March 1933, the main administrator of the Institute, Kurt Hiller, was sent to a concentration camp. On May 6th in 1933, while Hirschfeld was on a lecture tour for the League, the World League, the students, the German students, made an organized attack on the Institute of Sexual Research. Within that time, the Institute's library and archives were hauled out and burned in the streets of the Opera Plaza or the Opernplatz. Around 20,000 books, journals, 5,000 photographs were destroyed, all that recorded evidence of queer folks. Gone. And because the Institute was recording people's experiences, 
they had lists of names and addresses of different folks that received services. The Nazis seized those. By 1935, two years after the Nazi takeover and the book burning and the decimation of the Institute of Sexuality and the complete purgings of homosexuals from even the Nazis' ranks, Magnus died on his birthday, May 15th. Now, since documentation of concentration camps have been destroyed, there's no way to gauge how many homosexual people and trans people died in the Holocaust. As for the Institute and the fact that it was an organization, there was a charter that specified that if in the event of the dissolution of the Institute, all the assets that the Magnus Hirschfeld Foundation, which was sponsoring it since 1924, were to be donated to the Humboldt University of Berlin. While he was in exile in Paris, he wrote a will, leaving the rest of his assets to his heirs Carl Gysi and Tao Li. He was hoping for the continuation of his work. However, neither of his requests were fulfilled. The German courts found that when the foundation was dis- dis- dissolved and the property was seized by the Nazis, it was legal. That German legislature also retained that Nazi amendments to paragraph 175, making it impossible for surviving gay men to claim restitution for the destroyed institute, their cultural center. You're listening to Queer Story, and this was Magnus Hirschfeld's story. And now that we're telling it, even if it ends with such sorrow, his work lives on. Dein kleiner Mann, 
Ist aber auch verrückt. So? Ja. Warum? Ich finde. Wieso? Warum bist du? Wieso findest du? Tochter ist aber entzückt. Das passt mir aber nicht. Nanu. Nanu? Du hast mich mit ihr betrogen. Weil du mich mit ihr betrogen Und du hast mich mit ihm betrogen. Weil du mich mit ihm betrügst. Was sind das für verwickelte Familienverhältnisse? Wollen wir uns nicht lieber vertragen? Ja, wir wollen uns lieber vertragen. Die dumme, dumme Liebe. That song was Wine de Beste Frauden, When My Best Girlfriend, a classic song for lesbians in Berlin in the 1920s. Now, back to the show. I'm sitting here with my friend Jazz, uh, who's going to chat with me about the content of today's episode. Hi, Jazz. Hey. Jazz is my hot Canadian boyfriend. <laughs> um, and we've been engaged for a long time now. It's true. <laughs> um, so, yeah, let's talk about this song really quick before we dive into the more um, serious and meaty situations of Magnus Hirschfeld's life. Absolutely. What do you think about When My Best Girlfriend? Oh, man, it's so sweet. Well, <laughs> so we know what the lyrics mean. Yes. Oh, yeah, because we looked up the English translations <laughs> for the lyrics. And if you know German, then you probably know exactly what they're talking about. But for those of you who don't speak German, yeah. Should we give a synopsis? Uh, yes. Yes, we should. Um, shall we do the whole song or shall we just do the dialogue part so you know what they're really talking about with the song? I mean, I think we should do the whole thing okay. until the, the husband comes in. Great. A little background. This song is from a cabaret that Marlene Dietrich and Margot Lyon were performing in in 1926. And it is about two girlfriends uh, that are shopping together and discussing how very, very much they love being girlfriends. <laughs> and a one and a two a. When the best girlfriend... With the best girlfriend... To do some shopping. To do some shopping. To get some exercise. Wander through the streets. Blabbing about everything. Says the best girlfriend. To the best girlfriend. My best, my best girlfriend. Oh, my best girlfriend. Oh, my pretty girlfriend. Oh, my faithful girlfriend. Oh, my sweet girlfriend. Walks the best girlfriend. With the best girlfriend. Says to the best girlfriend. To the best girlfriend. My best, my best girlfriend. <laughs> That's so not gay at all. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, okay. Yes. This, this is the spoken part. Mm. Okay. Yes. What does the best girlfriend say? Tell me what crosses your mind. Well, I can only tell you one thing. If I didn't have you, 
We get along so well. Yes, we get along so terribly well. How well we get along together. It's just hardly bearable how well we both get along together. There's just one person I get along with equally well, and that is my cute little husband. Yeah, your cute little husband. <laughs> yes, my husband is a man. Such like a man, like my husband. <laughs> like the husband of the woman. Like the husband of the woman. <laughs> we used to be paramours. But that's all past. Today, instead of paramours... We have girlfriends. <laughs> Shall we do the other spoken part? Oh, yeah. Okay. Uh, your little man's a bit pushy. Really? Yes. Why? Well, I think so. Well, why? Why, I think so. Why do you think so? He does such things. I don't like it. Hello. What's this? That's the husband. You cheated on me with her. Because you cheated on me with her. And you cheated on me with him. Because you cheated on me with him. What's this for intricate family relations? Why don't don't we want to get along? Yes, we would rather get along. Stupid, silly love. Best girlfriends forever. Oh my god. I understand that this song became a Berlin lesbian anthem. Oh. <laughs> like it was like immediately devoured from the, the, the cabaret and was like, yes, my best girlfriend. Hell yeah. I love that. It's beautiful. Yeah, it's like early Ani DeFranco. I hope you enjoyed that song. Jazz and I are in the next segment of our podcast here of Queer Stories, where we talk about the queer story we just learned about, Magnus Hirschfeld. Um, and anything that came up for you, or had you ever heard of him before? Uh, just from watching Transparent. Yeah. What was your take on their fantasy, fictional version of that? Well... You know, I didn't realize until listening to you talk about the real history that I well, I mean, I had no idea about any of it mm-hmm. when I watched that show. And it's yeah, it seemed totally fantastical. I guess I I don't think I believed that that was a real thing. Oh, you thought it was like a craft of the show, like a Maybe. Hmm. Or maybe I didn't realize that it was as big as it was. I thought it was like kind of a secret underground thing that only those involved would have known about. Right, right, yeah. But it sounds like he was like a big Oh, he was publicly yeah. vying for this his entire career and life, arguably. Um, yeah. I I can't remember where I first heard about him. I think, oh, it was in this book, Out of the Past by Neil Miller. This book you're going to hear about a lot. It'll always be on the book list. <laughs> um and just just thinking about that space, like it really struck me because I really I'm really interested in um, keeping the memories um, alive about things that happened during the Holocaust because of the fact there are people who deny that it existed, and I read I try to read a lot about that. And when I came across Magnus Hirschfeld, my heart dropped because I was like, exactly this. This is the part that I really want to talk about. Is what would it be like if that institute hadn't been burnt down? Because mm. people still think that trans people are fake. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, I can't even imagine. It, I mean, I think what ifs are silly, but also they're exploratory for me where I'm just like, wow, if the institute didn't get burned down and it did exist... And we had a basis of knowledge for meeting people's mental health needs and their body's needs and gender confirmation surgeries and a norm around it was established. And a scientific fact, like everybody knows this scientific fact, 
but obviously some of them, like Pluto, can get mm. taken away. But like this scientific fact is what? Gravity. That exists. Everyone seems to be on board with that. Mm. Like if this institute had ever really gone through, it would be a fact. Like homosexuality would be decriminalized and all these sorts of things in Western society at least. Um, I just um, can't even imagine what kind of places, jobs, and roles in society trans folks and gay folks could have been having mm-hmm. for the last, you know, 70, 80, 100 years, almost. Almost, mm-hmm. actually. Yeah. I know it's a lot to think about, but, yeah. I mean, okay. It, it brings up a bunch of things for me, because... There, there is a bunch of discourse now in Canada, anyways, about the homosexuality gene. Or now that was like a thing, like five, ten years ago, and people, you know. Wait, like, wait, tell me more about the homosexuality gene. I don't fucking know. I had a friend who was actually my first like lesbian lover when we were like in high school. Lesbian lovers, Lisa Frank, like, lesbian lovers, <laughs> a queer. <laughs> a fab person in high school, whatever. She's in the military now. Uh, she was really psyched because she claimed that like her friend's dad was like the scientist who discovered the gay gene, which I mean, like it, it's not a thing that I really cared about or care about now. Like if it's a gene or not, but there is a lot of discourse around, um, homosexuality and like multiple species besides humans and stuff and yeah I don't know the value that that kind of scientific push has I mean I feel I, I see it get undermined by religious stuff anyways um, but doing this what if thought experiment and thinking about Berlin pre-World War II and like what it could be like now makes me curious because you know in North America it gets really easy to be like really North American centric it makes me really curious about other places in the world that might have also been you know uh, doing homo and trans acceptance stuff for a long time that maybe wasn't interrupted yeah what are those places like now this is great I love this. This generates more content for episodes. I'd love to explore <laughs> that. Like, it's not, I, I really appreciate that because if anyone has anything to contribute on a episode request that you know of other places where this kind of research and this kind of validation of queer people, of all delineations or some delineations, mm-hmm. uh, has lived on and moved forward, please, uh, I'm going to do some research and hit me up if you have anything to share. That's all the time we have for Queer Story today. Thanks, Jazz, for being on the show. If you want to check out their artwork, hit them up at Hot Dog Jasmine on Instagram. If you want to be on the show, have any questions or comments, hit me up at queerstorypodcast at gmail.com. Thanks, everyone, and be well.